Amen. Uh, Richard Nixon uh, was re-elected President of the United States in one of the largest electoral landslides in American history, defeating Governor George McGovern in 1972. Now, Nixon had an impressive record as President. Uh, he ended America's involvement in the unpopular Vietnam War, uh, also ending the military draft. He opened diplomatic relations with China and initiated the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty with the then Soviet Union. Uh, he helped to enforce the, the desegregation of schools in the South. He established the Environmental Protection Agency and began the formal war on cancer uh, with the Can National Cancer Act of 1971. He was also the, the sitting president uh, when Neil Armstrong took that one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind in the Apollo 11 moon landing. And for all his accomplishments, most people do not remember Richard Nixon as the great foreign diplomat and political powerhouse. They remember him as a fool. On August 9, 1974, Richard Nixon became the only U.S. president to resign from office. The Nixon administration attempted to cover up a break-in at the Democratic National Committee's headquarters at the Watergate office building. The cover-up led to his famous line, I am not a crook. That led to his public humiliation and resignation from office. Now, today, adding the word gate to anything is synonymous with political scandal. All Nixon's wisdom was overshadowed with a little bit of folly. The preacher here in Ecclesiastes warns us to avoid a Nixon-like folly by living with wisdom. Life under the sun is a constant battle of wisdom and folly. Which shall you choose? Ecclesiastes 9, 13, 10, 20. It's a larger section than typical today. Uh, some of the most challenging verses uh, to interpret uh, in, in the book uh, that is already challenging to interpret. Uh, but as you will see, as we've seen throughout this series, Solomon's words are as timely for us today as when the Holy Spirit first inspired them to be written. So I pray our hearts are challenged and convicted by our folly. And I pray that we are exhorted and encouraged to pursue wisdom. Uh, the first uh, point today is wisdom will win. Wisdom will win. Solomon continues to make this point throughout his sermon. This is a sermon kind of to the gathered uh, assembly at is in Israel. Uh, that wisdom is better than folly. He's driving home the benefits of wisdom over folly by, by showing a variety of analogies and stories highlighting how much better it is to live with wisdom in your life under the sun. He begins this section by sharing a story of how one man's wisdom saved a whole city. So look with me in our text today, chapter 9, verse 13. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and the words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. In one case, a great king with a great army attempted to siege 
a small city with a small army. Now, in the ancient world, cities were protected by, their, by the strength of their walls. Uh, they would be difficult to breach the walls. It would cost the, the lives of many men. Uh, so what they would do is they would siege the towns by kind of surrounding them uh, and kind of cutting off their water and their food supply, eventually forcing them to either starve or surrender. In this case, Solomon tries to show us that the, the, the victory is not always to the strong. If you remember from last week, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 he kind of points this out, and he says, again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but the bread to the wise, and the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. He provides a story kind of confirming what he just quoted to us, a story in real life. One poor wise man delivers the city with his wisdom. You see in verse 16, wisdom is better than might. And he points out the, the benefits of wisdom while at the same time showing its limitations. The poor man was forgotten even though he saved the city. He was not listened to because he was in poverty. I wonder how many people dismiss wisdom because it comes from an unexpected and unwelcomed place. Have you disregarded something that was actually wise because it came from the wrong source? Beloved, it is, it, living in wisdom is always better than living in folly. Wisdom will win in the end, even if it does not bring riches and reputation in this life. Wisdom will win in the final judgment. Solomon reminds his hearers again and again that you cannot live only for life under the sun. Now, we may live in wisdom in this life, and things may not go our way. Well, do not worry. The Lord knows and will reward you at the proper time. Now, some of you uh, may think the opposite is true. You may live in folly and in foolishness, and things may go your way for a time. Do not worry. The Lord knows. The Lord will reward you at the proper time. Do not think the Lord does not see your folly or your wisdom. The Lord sees all and will judge every deed and every word, word spoken under the sun. Wisdom will win. Secondly, foolishness will fail. Foolishness will fail. Throughout the section, Solomon kind of points out wisdom and folly and kind of how, how it plays out primarily in the political arena. And I know many of us here are probably not in politics. We could probably take glean things from what he's saying here. We want to kind of apply this things, these things to our own lives. Look at verse 17. Uh, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Solomon was a king, and he understood the, the importance of the king for the people. A wise king, a wise ruler, makes the people under their care flourish, while a foolish king and a foolish ruler makes the people languish. He compares the wise words in private to the, to the shouting of a ruler among fools. How much easier, beloved, is it for you to hear wisdom in private than it is if you were shouted at in public? I mean, would you prefer your supervisor to pull you aside when you make a mistake 
at your job, or would you rather have him tweet his displeasure on the company Facebook or Twitter page? Uh, that's not how you say it, but you know how I'm saying, right? Um, you know, wisdom is extremely valuable, but a little folly, it says, can ruin it all. Notice how it says in, in verse uh, uh, 18, one sinner can destroy much good, like, one, like dead flies can ruin a whole batch of perfume. A little folly, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, I can testify to this in my own life. I can testify to this with, with what I have seen, how a little foolishness can destroy families, can destroy friendships. It takes years of wisdom to build and minutes of folly to tear down. Friend, have you experienced folly? Has someone's foolishness affected you? Have you been foolish? Now, I think it's easy today to look into the world and see the foolishness of others. But wisdom does not only look at the folly out there in the world, but true wisdom looks at the folly in our own hearts. Paul wrote to Titus in his epistle, encouraging him to remind people to live with wisdom while helping them to remember who they once were, the foolishness of their own lives. Look at Titus 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Friends, we've all been foolish. We've all been disobedient. We have all been that one sinner who destroys much good because we're all sinners. Foolishness has failed and will fail. Do not be too quick to, to see foolishness in others. But first look to the foolishness in your own heart. This is what I believe the Lord Jesus is saying. Take the plank out of your own eye before you look at the speck of sawdust in your brothers. It is easy to see our own folly. And when we see our own folly, we, we can turn and rejoice in the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. I mean, do you hear what Paul said? The Apostle Paul, the one who wrote 13 books in the New Testament, what does he say? He says, we ourselves were once foolish. Paul is saying, I was once foolish. I was once disobedient. He recognized his own sin and his own folly. But because he recognized his own sin and his own folly, he recognized his own need, his own need for Jesus. So he continued in uh, Titus 3, 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a glorious truth. God is kind to save fools. We are not saved by our wisdom because our wisdom will always be mixed with folly. Jesus saved us. Jesus lived in perfect wisdom and then chose to die a fool's death on the cross. 
He was dead and buried, but God raised him from the dead. His death and resurrection has secured for us the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he told his disciples, unless I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will not come. Beloved, Jesus died to save us. Fools. Friend, if if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, have, have you recognized your own foolishness? Have you experienced the goodness and kindness of God, the Savior? God's perfect life of wisdom is offered to you today. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and your foolishness, and God will save you. Not according to your works, but because of his mercy. Experience his mercy today, I pray. Repent and rejoice in Christ. Now, beloved, those who believe and trust in Christ, the text says that you are justified by his grace, his grace alone in in Titus 3. And because we are justified by his grace, we we have a new responsibility. As our church covenant states, that that there's now a special obligation on us to lead a new and holy life. Simply, we are called to live in wisdom. Are we? Does your life reflect wisdom? A man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. I should say a fool's heart to the wise men to the right and a fool's to the left. Well, let me, point number three, a question. Are you ruining or reflecting wisdom? Are you ruining or reflecting wisdom? Now, Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. Uh, We see that in in the text that uh, Terrell read for you earlier. Every day we have a choice before us. Are we going to reflect God's wisdom or are we going to ruin the image of God and the wisdom of God in terms of how we share that? It says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, he goes on and he, and he says in verse uh, 24, that those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the very wisdom of God. We are in Christ, and therefore we must strive to be like Christ and live in his wisdom. We want to reflect Christ to the foolish world. I think too many times what Christians do, we look at the world and we want to call them fools. But we don't want our hearts to be broken by the foolishness that we see, and we're not changed to try to live in a way that would show them the light of Christ. We want the world to see the word of the cross is not folly, but is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Do you realize that your life affects eternity? Are you reflecting Christ? Or are you ruining Christ's image and his reputation in how you live? God saved us for his own glory and so that we could be salt and light to the world. He wants our lives to reflect him so that people who are far from God would repent and turn back to him. Look at verse 3 of chapter 10. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. Listen, our lives reveal what we love. Our lives reveal who we love. 
If you live, if you're a fool, you're eventually going to show it. That's what Solomon's trying to say. See, wisdom will win and foolishness will fail. Therefore, we have to learn on how wisdom is better so that we can reflect the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So for the rest of this message, this, this text is kind of disjointed a little bit. There's just a bunch of Proverbs kind of laid out. So I'm just going to ask kind of a, a reflective question and then kind of show from the passage how we can live in wisdom like the Lord Christ. So the first reflective question, do you reflect God's design for conflict? Do you reflect God's design for conflict? Look at verse 4 of chapter 10. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Now, it is unwise to leave a king's presence hastily when his anger rises against you. He kind of already mentions that earlier in this book. Because when you are leaving someone who's angry, really what's going to happen is that person is going to get even more angry. Uh, it is better to remain calm in the face of anger. Now, my, my bet is that people in our congregation are probably not going to feel the wrath of our president or the wrath of a king, right? That's the context of the passage. Uh, but you may face anger from others. When you face the anger of your spouse, the anger of your parents, a boss, or a friend, when their anger rises up against you, it is wisdom to remain calm. For calmness, it says, will lay great offenses to rest. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus did when he was confronted with, with anger. He did not revile back. He didn't, he didn't go back at folks. He was quiet. He was in control. He was calm. Now, there may be some of you here are, who are angry. And I would encourage you to, to repent of that anger, to be a peacemaker. So just a simple question, are you a peacemaker or are you a peacebreaker? When you see anger rising up in your midst, do you try to fight for peace? That's how God has designed for conflict for Christians, is that we would be peaceful and work for peace. The second reflective question is, do you reflect God's design for authority? Do you reflect God's design for authority? Look at verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler, Folly is set in many places, and the rich set in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So Solomon is saying, listen, he's reflecting on life, and he's saying life was not meant to be this way. It's upside down. God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. It is best for those who are wise, who are well-learned and trained to, to rule. And Solomon sees a, a world where fools are in power. He says very, something very similar in verses 16 and 17. It says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Woe to a nation, it says, when, when a king acts foolishly, acts like a child, and those who are in power feast for their own pleasure. How much pain do you see in a nation when those who are in charge work for themselves? That's what this, this picture is. They, they feast for their own pleasure and not to serve somebody else. But the opposite is also true. Blessed and happy is the land when the king rules in wisdom. And the knowledge of the, and, and princes are, 
They feast, but they don't feast for themselves to get drunk. They feast so they could have strength, so they could serve others. What a different picture. I'm not sure if you've had the the privilege to be under good leadership. I've had the the, the blessing to be under good leadership, both in secular jobs as well as uh, at churches. Maybe you've had a boss or a governor that you thought was, uh, was a good leader, godly parents or a pastor. Good Good leadership, when you're under good leadership, causes the people to rejoice. The last words of of King David reflect this in 2 Samuel 23. Let me read it for you. It says, these are the last words of, of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the, the God of Jacob, the sweetest psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, Listen to what he said, his last words. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass sprout from the earth. What a beautiful image. This is the way leadership should be. To those of you who have authority and leadership in one area or another, whether that's in your own home with your children, whether that's at job, and you have people that you're under your, under your charge. I pray that you will strive to care for them in such a way that they would flourish under your leadership. And they would experience literally the kindness of God to them in how you care for them. Sadly, that's not often what we see in our day. We too often see foolishness in our leaders and experience not the dawn rising, but the dark cloud of a cloudless morning. We may even be tempted to curse our leaders. And yet Solomon reminds us, look at verse 20 of chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Now he's warning us not to curse those in authority for they may find out and and punish you. But he even says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. How do you respond to authority? I've just seen this time and time again when I read through through the Bible, is that one of the marks of righteousness is responding well to authority. This is what Solomon is trying to kind of draw out for us. So just, do you curse the president? Do you curse the speaker of the house? Do you speak ill of your boss or your principal or your parents? Be careful to reflect your trust in God even in the midst of an upside-down world. Third reflective question, do you reflect God's design for work? Do you reflect God's design for work? Look at chapter 10, verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Now, hunters would dig pits for animals. Kind of a, uh, they would dig a big pit, and animals would fall in. That would be a foolish thing to forget where that hole was, and you yourself would fall in. That's what he's getting to. Now, snakes would often live into the crevices of walls, uh, and when they would, walls would be taken down, if you weren't careful, you may get bit by a serpent. Work can be very dangerous if done hastily. 
Um, our work should reflect diligence and care. Do you work with care? But also, do, do you work with, with intelligence, with smart, being smart? Look at verse 10. If the iron is blunt and does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. If you try to cut wood with a dull blade, it's going to require more effort. If the, if the charmer tries to grab the snake, the poisonous, venomous snake, uh, before he's charmed, he's going to get bit. In both cases, Solomon shows that wisdom thinks and plans ahead. It is wise that they're rushing to a job without preparing for it. So do you work hard? Do you work smart? Look at verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks. Now, roofs in the ancient world were ones that required constant attention. If you didn't require constant attention, eventually the roof would, would cave in. Uh, the lazy person neglected the roof would eventually not have one. Now, friend, do not be lazy in your work. Uh, I pray that there would be kind of a recovering of a strong work ethic. Uh, a strong work ethic comes from the scriptures, and we should have it as Christians. But don't just be, 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 be strong in your work ethic at work. Be strong in your fight against sin. Because if, there, if there's sin in your life that you don't take care of, it will fester, it will grow. And as a roof caves in the house, your life may cave in as well. Do not be slothful in fighting after sin. Do not put off something until tomorrow that God wants you to deal with today. So whether you're a student in class, a data analyst, or a manager, or a child doing their chores, God wants you to reflect his character in how you work. Work hard, work smart, and work today. Last reflective question. Do you reflect God's design for words? Do you reflect God's designs for words? Verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, and the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who could tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know where the way, know the way to the city. Now Jesus said in his ministry that the, what comes out of a mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the mouth comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. I mean, just go and open the news. Every day, almost, you'll find someone on the national scene who said or tweeted something that got them into trouble. It wasn't just the words of their mouth that got them into trouble. It's but what, the, what was being revealed from their heart of what they said. The lips of a fool will consume him. He is consumed because of the folly in his own heart. The wise use caution and discretion in their words. In a day where everyone has the opportunity to be heard on social media, beloved, hear me, we must be ever so careful to use our words wisely. Now, honest talk from your pastor. Over the last four or five months, I have heard multiple members come to me about their concern how we as a body of Christ are handling themselves on social media. 
Some of you here, some of you listening, some of you uh, as members of our body need to take inventory. You need to take inventory of the amount of words, the tone of your words, and the content of your words online. As elders, we do not police how members use social media. But beloved, it is a growing concern. And here's why it's a growing concern. Because what you post or tweet or like reveals your heart. And we don't want your heart to be, to be consumed by folly. We want to we want to invite people into our lives that can hold us accountable with our words, with our tweets, and with our posts. Listen, because we're all going to make mistakes. And when we do, we want a friend, a, a brother to come to us, a sister, and say, hey, that was maybe out of line. We all need Solomon's exhortation that we do not know all that is to come. We must be people of humility. Look what the text says. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? I mean, listen, the whole half, last half of this book, what does Solomon say? You don't know. You're a man. You don't know what's coming. Yes, we know what ultimately is going to come. Jesus Christ is going to come back. Amen? The clouds are going to be ripped open. Jesus Christ is going to be descended. Everyone who knows him will be brought to glory. Praise God and praise God. But you don't know what's happening next week. I don't. And yet we, we're holding things so tightly that we, we, we're acting as if we know. Hear the words again. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. We're limited in our knowledge. I think this, what, this, what, this, what, what the Word of God is trying to show us is that we need to be a people of humility. We don't know what is coming. Hold our opinions with humility. Now, more more honest talk from your pastor, right? As much as I can say about the last four or five months of the concerns I've gotten, how people have, have handled themselves with their words, I can say the very opposite thing as well. I have heard countless uh, things come to me about how the, the body of Christ has been encouraged by one another, by people writing uh, notes to each other and, and encouraging each other with meals and with phone calls. I, I, might, I myself have gotten cards that have kind of encouraged me on a rough day. And I've probably gotten over a hundred text messages in the last four or five months encouraging me in my ministry as a pastor. Our church is using their words well, but not everyone is using their words well. And even those who use their words well sometimes use their words poorly. This is the life in a fallen world, amen? We need each other to, to sharpen one another. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. We all were once foolish. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Now, Richard Nixon never went to prison. He was pardoned by Ford uh, a month after he, was, he resigned. But several in his administration did. Chuck Colson, Nixon's hatchet man, went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal. Admittingly, he said, I spent the first 41 years of my life with no moral compass, living as a fool. However, when I say the word Chuck Colson, you don't remember him as a fool. You remember him as a transformed fool, a forgiven fool who gave his life to Jesus Christ. 
Colson repented of his sins and was born again. Listen to his own words when he reflected on his own conversion. I just love this. I pray that we are the kind of people who never forget how God saves us. This is what Colson said. 30 years ago today, I visited Tom Phillips, president of Wraith and Company, at his home outside of Boston. I, I represented Wraith before going to the White House, and I was about to start again. But I visited for another reason as well. I knew Tom had become a Christian, and he seemed so different. I wanted to ask him what had happened. That night, he read to me from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, particularly a chapter about the great sin that is pride. A proud man is always walking through life, looking down on other people and other things, said Lewis. As a result, he cannot see something above himself immeasurably superior, God. I think one of the reasons why our world cannot see God is because of their pride. I don't want you to be like the world. I want you to see the pride in your own life, to repent of it, grow in humility so that you can see someone who's immeasurably more superior, the Lord God. But Colson goes on and says this. Tom that night told me about encountering Christ in his own life. He didn't realize it, but I was in the depths of despair over Watergate. Watching the president I had helped for four years flounder in office, I'd also heard that I might become a target of the investigation as well. In short, my world was collapsing. That night, as Tom was telling me about Jesus, I listened attentively, but didn't let, my own, let on my own need. Then he offered to pray. I said, I thanked him, but said no. I'd see him sometime after I read C.S. Lewis's book. But when I got in the car that night, I couldn't drive out of the driveway. Ex-Marine captain, White House tough guy, I was crying too hard, calling out to God, I didn't know what to say. I just knew I needed Jesus, and he came into my life. Colson founded Prison Fellowship to reach fools like himself with the power of the gospel. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands heard about the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior because one man realized he was a fool and desperately needed Jesus. You may have come today as a fool, but you don't have to leave like one. Repent of your foolishness and admit you desperately need Jesus. God loves to forgive fools and transform them by his mercy. Friend, you have two options in life. Be a fool or be a forgiven fool. I pray you choose wisely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the salvation that you have offered us in Christ. We thank you that we are forgiven, not because of our works and our righteousness, but because of your mercy. Father, we were once foolish. We were once so foolish, Lord. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, you saved us. Let us never forget that. We pray this in Jesus' name.